Well, if you will, please turn in a copy of God's Word to Acts 15. Can you think of moments in your life that really changed everything? Um, There's those seminal moments that before and after, they were different. Um, This is kind of one of those texts, actually. What happens at the Jerusalem Council, or what we Presbyterians call the First General Assembly, uh, what happens here has huge implications for the spread of the gospel, for the purity of the gospel, and for the growth of the kingdom. Uh, It's hard for us to understand all the cultural things that were going on here, but nothing less than the gospel was at stake. So let's look at at Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. But some men came from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent out on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved for the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through, uh, through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for His name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, said the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but write them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from that which has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. 
For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Lord Christ, we thank you for your word, and we ask for your blessing as we um, hear it preached. That we would call, you would cause us to love you more, and that you would grant anointing to the preacher and hearer alike. Work amongst us, O Lord. In the name of Christ we ask it. Amen. So I remember when I was in high school, a very... Um, I remember very, very clearly a conversation that I had with my assistant pastor, Patrick Curls. He's actually preached here before. See, we've been going through as a church this curriculum called Foundations, and it's, it was focused on basic doctrine of this is what it is to be saved, this is what justification is, sanctification, glorification, so that we would all be on the same foundation together. It was a great thing to do. It was a long curriculum, about 17, 18 weeks, if I remember correctly. We were talking, and I, and I told him, you know, Pastor, I, I, I'm just tired of this. I, I know all this theology stuff. right? I know what justification is. I know what sanctification I know what glorification is. I want to get something that really matters. And with... Uh, with a lot of pastoral care, he both pushed back and had a lot of patience on this young 17-year-old. And he said, you know, these, these things do matter a lot. What we believe, these things matter. He was really kind considering that he wrote the curriculum. So does theology matter? Does what we believe actually matter? Well, yes, right? As many people have said, ideas have consequences. And in our text this morning, we see competing ideas about fundamental truths of doctrine that that have the opportunity not just to divide the church, but but also to, to lead many away from Christ. What happens in our text today really is the reason we don't have Jewish and Gentile churches. It really is the reason that God's people are to worship together. If if the Jerusalem Council had gone differently, there would be a different gospel preached, which is not a gospel, right? But in a seminal moment, they came together and they reaffirmed basically that Jesus is enough for salvation. You don't have to do also X, Y, and Z in order to be saved. Does it matter what we believe? Well, of course it does. What was at stake here today in our text? Well, it's only the gospel. In many ways, we can see that all of Acts pivots on this text. Um, There's going to be a real shift here. We've seen a few shifts in the past, but but this really, you could say, is a hinge. It's actually about halfway through uh, the book, both in chapters, which doesn't mean length, right? They're just kind of randomly assigned, those chapters, Uh, but also in word count. So more significantly, this is basically the middle of the book in terms of word count. Before this, we've seen a lot about Peter, and we really won't hear about him ever again in Acts. 
that's fairly significant. There's going to be a, a complete shift now. It's really all going to be about Paul and his ministry, and we're going to end up with Paul in prison in Rome at the end of the book. Um, now we're going to see more and more focus, uh, not on Jerusalem, but on uh, Asia Minor, and even into the edges of Europe. We're going to see Gentiles more and more of the focus as they come more and more to Christ, and many Jews will reject the Lord. Paul and Barnabas have just returned to Antioch. That's where they are, the beginning of our passage. Antioch is, uh, it was the sending church, the sending church of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And this would have lasted about a year and a half. They've been gone a while. They've been through some hard times. They've been beaten up, left for dead. It's, it's been a thing. They finally come back and they rejoice together of all the Lord had done as they planted churches in places like Cyprus and Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, Perga, places that aren't familiar to us. But many people have been redeemed and rescued and called on the name of the Lord. Some of those were of Jewish background. Some believers out of those groups were Jewish background. In those places that had synagogues, they went there first and proclaimed the Lord. But most of the people who had come to know Christ were Gentiles. That is, those who had not grown up ethically, ethnically, rather, ethnically Jewish. They didn't know. They didn't know necessarily what the Old Testament had taught. They didn't know the history of the promises that had been given to Abraham, Moses, and David to the people of Israel. Things were about to really get stirred up. Have you ever been in a hunting club or even a bridge group or a group of friends that get together um, frequently? We've had many, uh, in our eight years here, we've had many supper clubs. And uh, anytime that someone moves away, which in Bruton happens a lot if you're a preacher. Uh, so one of our supper clubs, there are no other, none of those people are still here. I'm the only preacher that's still here. But, but you know, we would invite people to come in as somebody left, and, and things change at that moment. When you invite new people in, it changes the dynamics of whatever group you're a part of. You're wondering what's their background. What are they going to say if I say X? You know, what are their views of this? And so you're just kind of careful. When you bring new people into a group, it changes the group. Things are about to really get changed in the people of God. Right up until this point, the people of God were mostly Jews, right? And so monolithically, culturally, they were all very the same. And even if you lived in different areas, you at least had the same background. You at least had received the same teaching. And you claimed the same promise as the Old Testament. Now you've got all these young upstarts. These folks, these Gentiles, who one day were committing sexually immoral acts in the, in the pagan temples, worshiping their gods, and the next day they're sitting with you in church having received Christ. Whoa. They don't know that you as a Jew, that don't you know I'm privileged? That, that I have the Old Testament promises? Don't you know my heritage? Don't you know who my people are? And now you're sitting next to me in church and... I mean, and, and, I mean, you've got, you've got, I mean, you're eating pork. Just, you know, you're just like, you're hungry. And so you just grab some pork out and you're just eating on that, you know, that, that rib. And it's like, what is going on? How are these two people groups meant to worship together? Don't you know that, I mean, I'm glad you're saved and all, but ah, I'm better than you are. Well, the thing is that it shouldn't have been a surprise that this was going to happen. All these Gentiles coming to call on the name of God. Genesis 12, it said it. When God called Abraham, 
I'm going to make you a blessing just for your people. I don't want you ever to share it. No, that's not what he said. He said, I'm going to make you a blessing for all the nations. Nations, plural, outside of ethnic Israel. Well, it's happened. Praise be to Jesus. Oh, well, (laughs) that's great. But one or two are fine. But all these Gentiles make me a little nervous. It's actually happened already, right? As we as seen in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, Peter went, was called by God. I mean, Peter wasn't looking to go preach to the Gentiles. God orchestrated that one. And, uh, and, and, and people come to know Jesus of, of Gentile backgrounds, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. Right? They're not second-class Christians at that point. I mean, they receive the same Holy Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost. But the big question that's going to be raised as these cultures collide is how do these new Gentile Christians, what is the bearing of the Old Testament law upon them? See, Jews of this period, um, it was was not a very spiritually pure group. There were a lot of folks that that were Jewish on the outside and had no connection to God on the inside. So, in a lot of ways, to be Jewish this day, a lot like today actually, was a cultural thing. To inherit these things in the Old Testament, to, to look good on the outside, and to follow the 613 laws that the Pharisees had formulated from the Old Testament dietary and ceremonial laws. They had taken the law of God and just butchered it and made it into a law of religion, a law of obedience, not a, law of, not a, a religion of grace, which is what you find in the Old Testament. So what about, what about, I mean, if you become a, if you're a Gentile, you become a Christian, what about, um, can you eat pork? Uh, can you eat things that have been strangled or there's blood dripping out of it? What about uh, things that have been sacrificed to idols? But specifically, what about circumcision? To be circumcised in the Old Testament was to be identified with the people of God. And by the time you get to Christ, uh, you know, the circumcision in the Old Testament was meant to point to something deeper Circumcision saved nobody. It was an outward sign of an inward grace. It was an outward sign that you belonged to the covenant people of God. But it didn't save anybody. It was meant to point to the need of circumcision of heart. Just like the waters of baptism, which has now taken the place of circumcision. That doesn't save anybody. It points us to our need of the saving, cleansing blood of Jesus. And it sets aside our children as belonging to the covenant people of God. A promise that God has given to his people and to their children. But, but what about these Gentiles? Did they have to be circumcised? Basically, the question was, did they have to become Jewish in order to become Christians? Or was this something altogether new? Well, the issue came to a head in Antioch. When people came from Jerusalem, not sent by the apostles of their own desire, they were looking to promulgate their own heretical views, and they came together. In verse 1 we see, they were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Think about to whom he was saying this. Gentiles who had been Christians for years now in Antioch and had been following the Lord, had the Holy Spirit, and these folks come and say, hey, yeah, you're not actually going to heaven if you hadn't been circumcised. That's what it came down to. Now, on one level, this is a really simple question with a really simple answer. The answer is no. You don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. But there was so much cultural baggage going along with this. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. You think the the racial divide in the civil rights era between white and black was bad? And it was bad, right? 
But, I mean, you pour gasoline on that, kerosene, diesel, light it on fire, uh, then throw it in the dump. And that's what this was like. I mean, it, it was awful. And now they're sitting next to each other in worship? What do you mean there's no Gentile or Jew? No male or female? No slave or free? Don't you know his past? And don't you know who I am? Were there going to be two classes of Christians? It's a complex issue. What we believe matters. What was at stake here? It was just the gospel, just our salvation. Huge implications. We see this salvifically. Did people have to obey the law of God in order to be saved? As many commentators have put it, is Jesus enough? That's what it comes down to, and perhaps it's a question you ought to ask yourself. Is Jesus enough? And so they send off um, Paul and Barnabas and some of their own peeps, and they send them off to Jerusalem to uh, go consult with the apostles and the elders. There's so much in this text that actually defines how we operate as a Presbyterian church. This is a real seminal text for Presbyterian polity. That's why we call this the First General Assembly, kind of uh, um, tongue-in-cheek. right? But they come together, they appeal to a body that is over them, that is above them, larger than them, of elders and the apostles. Apostles would die out, the elders would keep going. And they come basically asking, is Jesus enough? Well, they come together, the First General Assembly, and first they hear of all that God had done through them and with them and against them in their efforts, and they rejoice. It appears there are three different gatherings here. If you really look at it, it appears there are probably three different gatherings that happen over a few days. Uh, maybe some breakout sessions, maybe some study committees that have been formed. Uh, you know. So um, finally, uh, you know, so we, we have James who is the moderator, specifically, importantly, it's not Peter. Peter is not the leader of the Jerusalem church at this point. It is James, who is not an apostle. He is the brother of Jesus. And he looks out at microphone number three in the back there, and he turns to the guy, hey, turn that, turn that one on. I think that's Peter. And Peter stands up to the microphone, and he starts talking, and he says, hey, guys, these people who are saying that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved... Don't you know, don't you remember that the Lord used me to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and they received the same Holy Spirit that we did? Right? He says this in verses 8 through 11. And God, who knows the hearts, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. There's one way of salvation through Jesus Christ. Is Jesus enough? Yes. Yes. This is the gospel message. And right now, in this moment, in Acts 15, the purity of the gospel message going forth was in the balance. Would the church maintain its commitment to the statement that Jesus is enough for salvation, not Jesus plus something? You know... The gospel says that it's not because of anything that we have done, can do, or will do that we can be saved. I got to teach the youth this morning. That was a delight. And we were talking about total depravity. We went through the five points of Calvinism, kept it real light this morning. And, uh, and we were talking about how we are unable to call out, on, call out to God. 
Sin has affected every part of who we are. And this, this makes God's grace all the more magnificent. That He would regenerate our hearts and He would make us new. And it's not based on anything within us. It's because of what Christ has done for us. As one famous preacher likes to say, that the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, it is the A to Zs of Christianity. How does this apply to us? I mean, yes, we're good Presbyterians. We know that Jesus is enough. But do we really... I mean, yes, in our salvation, hopefully we call down the name of the Lord, believing He's enough, and we despaired of our own efforts. But y'all, we go back to those same, same efforts. Because we like to think that we have to have part of it. Because we're prideful folks and arrogant folks, selfish folks like your preacher. Whenever we try to make up for bad things. You ever done that before? Ever try to make up for a bad thing? We need to look again to the good news of Jesus. It's done. Whenever we try to pay Jesus back for our salvation, we need to look again to the gospel of Christ. Whenever we think that we are better than someone else because we don't struggle with X, Y, or Z, we need to look again to the cross of Jesus. Whenever we wonder if Jesus really loves me because I've failed again, we need to look again to the cross. If our good works haven't saved us, then neither can our failures unsave us. We are secure in Christ Jesus is enough. But there are other implications here, right? Other implications for them, other implications for us. Right? How we view, it, the, how we view of our salvation, what we think of how we're saved, it affects not just our relationship to God, but also to others. Because if good works play into this at all, then it means that how well I'm doing and my good works will change my view of you if I don't think you're doing quite as well. Right? I sure am better than you. You know, we're all saved by grace, but I've added a little more than you. Right? right? That, that's, that's cancer. That's cancer. As many have said, the, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's one curse and one solution. We're the problem. Jesus is the answer. Are some Christians better off spiritually because of their background? Their skin color, their ethnicity, their country of origin, their language, their financial portfolio, their employment record, their conversion story, their education level. The answer must be no. Right? No Christian is better off than another because of any of those things. Galatians 3 puts it really, really clearly. Verses 28 and 29 of Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek... There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're a Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise. In Galatians 3, he is writing to a church that is divided between Jews and Gentiles. And he says to both of them, both to those who are ethnically from Abraham's line and those who have no connection to Abraham's uh, descent. He says to both of them, you are both Abraham's offspring. The promises of God apply to both of you because spiritually you belong to Abraham. It is through Abraham that the promises come. This is a pivotal moment and would have been earth-shattering for those from a Jewish background. All right, For the Jews had seen themselves as religiously superior for so long and now... More and more Gentiles are becoming Christians. 
And they're becoming the numbers of Jewish Christians in the church is being diluted. And soon the overwhelming vast majority of those in the church will be Gentile. We are all Gentiles. I don't, unless there's someone here who has Jewish blood in them, we're all Gentiles. You know, everyone likes being liked. Don't you like being liked? You know, the good old boy system is terrible until you benefit from it. Haven't you found that to be true? We will say, I just hate the good old boy system because I'm not in it. And then all of a sudden you benefit from it and say, man, I just hate the good old boy system. But this sure is nice. We like being in the it crowd, the in crowd. And this would have been scary for our Jewish brothers and sisters who really did love Jesus. They were processing through this. These were believers who were bringing up these objections as they thought through what, is this, what does this look like for us and what is our relationship to the law of God? Well, Peter gives up and he gives his appeal for his experience and then Paul and Barnabas are recognized from microphone two towards the back and um, the camera zooms in on them, right? So you can see them projected up here. And Paul and Barnabas, they just, they just start recounting everything that the Lord has done with them and through them. Y'all, we saw paralytics just stand up and walk. We, we, we saw people's whole eternities changed who had the day before been sacrificing to Zeus. They thought we were Zeus and Hermes, and we barely kept... Oh, and I got stoned along the way, but that's not the focus. Jesus says, we're good. I went back there. <laughs> they tried it again. It didn't work. And they tell about all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. So James, the brother of Jesus, the moderator of the First General Assembly, he stands up, and through the moving of the Holy Spirit, likely affirmed by the assembly, he renders his decision. And what he does is hard to uh, overstate how staggering this would have been to our Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. He takes a... Uh, a passage from Amos chapter uh, 9, which applied to the restoration of Israel and applied it to what had happened to the Gentiles. Right? What, what does he say? This text speaks of the coming Messiah and the restoration of Israel, and they would have assumed up to that point that it's referred to ethnic Israel. It's an amazing thing that James is saying that this has been fulfilled in the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God. This means that the Old Testament scriptures and promises don't just apply to Jews, but to Gentiles, and there's now no distinction between these two. They say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm okay with them coming to church, but you're saying there's no distinction, and they're Israel now? The Jew and Gentile together, we are Israel? One theologian put it this way. The implication was, was clear. There was no longer an ethnic Israel that had any religious significance. The promises given to Israel were now firmly in the court of the church, and the church was made up of all those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, whatever their ethnic background. This meant that there were not two churches. There was one church. They might meet in different places, but there's one church. All right, so they decide to send out a letter. Uh, this is monumental. It's got to go out to the churches. Y'all need to know this. Uh, but there's still some practical considerations. Uh, so this afternoon I'm going to go um, to an installation service at uh, Baptist Hill um, Church, they, they've, it's, which is a black congregation over on Sal Road. They have a new preacher. 
and I'm a white Presbyterian. And I'm really excited. But I would imagine culturally there are going to be some times where I'm not real sure what to do. And I'm okay with that. I imagine it's going to be pretty exciting. Anybody wants to go with me, you're welcome to. Three o'clock. Practically, you know, there's sometimes things you have to work through when, when cultures are different. So how are they going to work through these, these differences? Okay, that's well and good, James. I'm all for us being one people, but what if he's eating pork? And I'm, I don't feel like I should. Like, how should we relate? So he sends out this, um, this letter to the churches, or they do, and it has four restrictions. Now, it does, it, import, most importantly, he does not say you have to be circumcised. That's how they answer that question. You don't have to be circumcised. These four restrictions, one of them is about sexual morality, and it is connected to the moral law. So it, it's still in effect, right? Uh, and he includes that because these pagan, these, uh, excuse me, these Gentile Christians would have come out of a pagan uh, world in which sexual morality was part of worship of false gods. So it's important that he includes this one. Just as a reminder, hey, this has no place in the church. The other three were temporary, temporary restrictions. And we know they're temporary because one of them about food sacrificed to idols, Paul is going to say later that it really is up to your conscience. Okay, so, so these are, these are kind of temporary directions for how y'all can spend time together. It's kind of like views of alcohol in the church today. Uh, so uh, I, I told the search committee when I came here that I, I do drink in moderation and I will drink in public. I just wanted them to know that up front. So this was not a surprise. Uh, but, you know, I have many brothers and sisters in Christ who feel like it is a sin to drink. So when we have people out of our house who have that view, guess what? We don't serve alcohol, right? And I actually do my best to hide the alcohol so that if their children are there, not so I'm like, yeah, I don't drink, uh, you know, uh, so that if they have children, their children aren't being led astray from what their parents are teaching them. That's what it looks like to be sensitive. And so what Paul says here is be sensitive, or it's not Paul, James, be sensitive. And so he says, don't eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. That's going to cause your Jewish brethren, they're going to wig out. That's not good. Don't do that. Don't eat meat from an animal that has been strangled instead of uh, drained of its blood. This was a kosher law. And then don't eat or drink blood. Okay, so those were things specific. Don't do these things, and you will do well. It'll really help y'all work together. Well, how do we land this plane? Um, the Jerusalem Council is one of the most significant events in the history of the church. And they came out saying, Jesus is enough. We'll work through culturally how we relate to each other, but we are one body of Christ. Are there those in your life who you struggle with thinking I'm better than they are? Because of all sorts of reasons. Their background, their education, their employment status, their lack of employment status, where they're from, their immigration status, their skin color, their language. We're all made in the image of God. We all have dignity. And as believers, we are covered in one blood of Christ. And so he calls us back to this constant um, reassessment of our own hearts. Because Jesus is enough, no matter where you're from, no matter your history. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, black and white, American Chinese, you name it. He loved us enough to die for us, and He loves us still. And we pray that He'll come back and fix all this mess. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your love for us. Uh, It is amazing. Help us then to love you and others well. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.